When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Performance Center, Matthew Collar here, joined by Kevin Seifert of ESPN after the Vikings drop to 0 and 3. How you doing, Kevin? You doing all right? You good? You <laughs> I'm, along? I'm doing okay. Fortunately, I'm not 0 and 3, uh, but it is always a little bit of a less pleasant day at work to come in when they're 0 and 3 compared to 3 and 0. Yeah, um, an empty locker room. Not a whole lot to discuss from that. No. But I, I would like your opinion though on on Kevin O'Connell and his handling of 0 and 3. Because sure. I think that he has no other choice being the coach that is trying to be positive than to say, hey, I once coached on a team that went three losses in a row in the middle of the season. What a reach. He, he had that one prepared. After a 7-1 and one start. Uh-huh. And with Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller yeah. and Jalen Ramsey. Anyway, yeah. that's not the point. Not the point. Uh, so he's he's going motivational. But at the same time, he's not really defensive to critique from us like hey so your defense blitzed justin herbert 40 times and uh from at least pff stats he had 124 quarterback rating when yeah. that happened um so he seems to be acknowledging the issues while not saying everything is over what how do you feel like he's handled this as going through his first true adversity as a head coach yeah that the comparison to the uh the super bowl winning rams i don't think you know, necessarily was relevant or applied uh, to the situation. But I generally respect the idea that he doesn't live in a public fantasy land. Like, I don't hear him saying things that don't comport with reality. You know, they're an optimistic view of reality. But, you know, he I asked him about, you know, you referenced the defense. I asked him about the blitz rates and whether there should have been adjustments. And he took the question. You know, he addressed it. He didn't, he didn't take the opportunity to second-guess his defensive coordinator or himself for – not you know adjusting as time went on when we saw how the Chargers were going to respond to those blitzes and what they had up their sleeve. Um, and in a similar way, they didn't necessarily adjust to what the Eagles finally got to in terms of their running game two weeks ago. So you have one week where they give up 259 rushing yards and another week where they give up 455 passing yards and, and never really slow down the opponents. Um, but he, you know, long story short, he uh, he seems to 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 be willing to uh, acknowledge reality, but to take a positive spin on it, and that's his personality. Like if he had come in today and just been raging, um, lunatic, raising his voice, cutting people off, insulting people, like, and we've all seen that. And I'm not just talking about people here. We've seen that across the NFL. We see it across sports that coaches feel compelled to match the the intensity of the moment with their public uh, personality. And, and, I, and I didn't expect that from him, and I would have been really surprised had he been that way. There might be a level that he could get to. But 
you know, it really, as much as people on my own network and others are talking about, you know, the, the extent to which the Vikings should be planning to trade Kirk Cousins in the next week or two, um, it's really early to do anything other than assume if you're in his position that things will even out and they will be, they will win some of these close games. Um, you know, they won all of them last year. They lost all of them this year. And, and usually it ends up in between. So I wanted to ask you about that, but I think that with Kevin O'Connell handling it in a somewhat even handed way, where if you're asked about the defense struggling, if he came out and said, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. We, we were, we were fine. You'd be like, if you want to, if you want to focus on the negatives, I've gotten that a lot over the years. If you want to focus on the negatives, well, that's, it's negative because you lost. Right, right. Exactly. And also you gave up a historic day to the opposing team's quarterback. But yeah, we've certainly had that. Uh, Zimmer was a back and forth where sometimes he would just destroy his players <laughs> yeah. and he would use us for that. We could have just said, good morning, Mike, and yeah. he would have said, screw the secondary or right. the offense or whatever, probably the offense. And, uh, you know, other times he was very defensive, as if, like, you guys don't even know football enough mm-hmm. to know how good we actually were. Mm-hmm. That was kind of 2021. But I-, I think that as of this moment, it's not completely over, and they haven't had a truly horrific type of 48 to three type, you know, every loss you could argue it was within three. It was within one score, even though it wasn't that close in in Philly, Philly, but he tried. And then yesterday you are a bounce off the hands of TJ Hawkinson away from winning the game. So what are you supposed to say? We're horrible. Yeah. And, And then I thought he showed a little bit of teeth when he said, basically, if we keep fumbling the ball, I'm going to bench some people for fumbling the ball. And that was the first time I've heard that type of through the media Mm -hmm. message to Mm -hmm. his team, which I thought was interesting. Uh, Now, I mean, they're going to Carolina here, and I feel like this is the game where it all can swing one way or the other. Yeah. If they beat Carolina, they're going to, and we'll work on this later, but they're going to be like, okay, now we got to win. We're rolling. We're on our way. Mm -hmm. That's, That's who we really are as a team. If they lose and go to 0-4, though, I you cannot be responsible for what's said on ESPN about trading Kirk to the Jets if no. they lose to Carolina because I might agree with them at that point. Yeah, I mean that'll, you know, I think we I think 0-3 it's historically is like two and a half percent of the 0-3 teams uh, over since the Super Bowl era started in '66 have gone to the playoffs. 0-4 is going to be a lot less than that, and you start talking about all the things that. Um, I mean, it really, it's an interesting pivot point because when, if you get to one and three, you, and the NFL is always like this in a way that, you know, it's a, it's the sun comes up or down based on what happened that particular week. But if you get to, if you get to one and three, then you can start having those conversations. If you get to zero and four, all the things that we have kind of filed away as off season or, you know, questions for the postseason end of year press conference, like become relevant now, like what at what point would what would be the point of bringing Kirk Cousins back when your team is not going to make the playoffs um, under his leadership, uh, whether it's his fault or not? What would be you know what would be the point um, if you're Justin Jefferson of jumping back into contract negotiations if um, right away if they have a really bad losing season and it's not clear who the starting quarterback is going to be moving forward and so you get into all these existential things and you're not even out of well we'll be just into October at that point right the game's October 1st I think yes that is correct so we will we will be one day into October and potentially having those conversations whereas if they're one and three um you can start. O'Connell could make the argument that hey, we've you know we've re, we you know maybe they're not the, a Super Bowl contender, but we went on the road and beat a team, 
and this could be you know the sort of the bottoming out point and so it really is i think a good point that that's a a, a pretty big leverage point yeah it's been a while since i've had this uh, type of situation i mean 2020 was kind of like this but i remember and this is what i want to look at with you at the moment i remember 2020 looking at the schedule going forward mm-hmm. and thinking I know what they're going to do. Yeah. They're going to get back to 500. They're going to tell us we panicked at 0-3 mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. and then you know they're probably going to still miss the playoffs. When you look forward, so you have Carolina and at Chicago, you should win both of those games. Yeah. There is no guarantees in Chicago. I've seen everything happen there. That so goes you. back for decades. Yeah. yeah, Chad Hutchinson game. Absolutely. I mean, it's like lots of Kyle uh, Orton. Lots of history there. Uh, what it would Kyle Orton score like 50 points on them or something? I don't know if it was quite that, 47. but he, he was, uh, it extended his career for many years. That's <laughs> it. Uh, and you got Kansas city in between T Swift could be in the building. It could be <laughs> absolutely nuts. Uh, that one, I don't think I can write as a victory And San Francisco after that national TV, that defensive line again, it's pretty tough. Then you go at green Bay at Atlanta. Both of those teams can beat you. And probably Derek Carr is back for new Orleans to come here and I think that New Orleans team's got a lot of talent I just don't see it I don't see the like Jacksonville is coming up and mm-hmm. Carolina the mm-hmm. year in 2020 where we knew they were going to win some games Chicago okay even if we say look at that franchise that's a W Kansas City San Francisco Green Bay Atlanta how do you even come out of there with two wins well the the old I mean the the initial analysis you know going back decades was where do you play the Lions you know because those are the two you, you'd always count on those two I think like Mike Tyson and Brad Childress Patrick Royce always jokes that those guys got extended contracts because of the Lions and so you can't do that and what you're describing is basically a first place schedule you know they they were in, they won the NFC North last year and that means that they have a, a tough schedule tougher schedule than they would have otherwise. Um, if you you know analyze schedules the way my friend Mike Sando does at the Athletic, it's by uh, the the quality of the opposing quarterbacks. And so you you know you're naming teams and you could also just name you know Justin Herbert, uh, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Brock Purdy if you want to put them in that group. You know there's just a Joe Burrow down there. There's I think uh, Goff is playing pretty well in Detroit, um, and so there's a lot of uh, you know really good quarterbacks coming up on this schedule, and one and a couple they've already passed through. Um, and given how this defense has been, like if you wanted to make the argument of what you talked about in 2020, get to 500, you know, are they going to get to five? Like, wh- who are the wins they're going to get? They have to have they're 0 and three. They have to get you know net out three wins to get to to 500 over the course of the next eight games or so. Um, where are those wins and who are the ones they're going to avoid losing to? And by the way, between October 1st and November 27th, they are at home three times. Mm-hmm. That I mean, it's it is on the road to Chicago, but at Lambeau, are you a better defense at Lambeau? Probably not. And even Atlanta. Now Atlanta was horrific yesterday against the Packers, who have much more defensive talent than it's this. The Lions, team. yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, the Lions, yeah. who have more defensive talent, and at least a couple of players you're scared of on on the the Lions. Uh, they also, um, you know, didn't play that well offensively when they beat the Packers right. in the first half of that right. game. But we just watched a Eagles team mm-hmm. run for 250. Yeah. So there isn't even anything you can sort of match up wise lean on no. and be like, oh well, if a team runs the ball all the time like Atlanta, yeah. they'll be able to stop them. Uh, you, I just don't see that. And that's what I was getting at when I asked uh, uh, O'Connell today to, to sort of try to reconcile you know, how he's processing the fact that a, team, a, a good rushing team like the Eagles went for 259 and then a good passing team like the Chargers went 
for 455 passing. Um, and like the worst case scenario is their defense is just so bad slash so undermanned that whatever the opponent decides it wants to do, and the Eagles have a strong running game, makes perfect sense. The Chargers are built around Herbert, you know, makes perfect sense that they can do not only do well, but like get historic numbers like this uh, we had and i'll write this later in the week but we had elias sports bureau research how many times has this ever happened where a team has um gone uh like given up 455 yards passing and 259 yards rushing in consecutive games one way or the other and it's only been like a handful of times going back to and one of them was like 1948 and so like and people will say that's a random stat, but like I think that the the relevance of it is that usually you're not as vulnerable in both areas, um, like you're one or the other. But um, if if you go by the cliche of it all starts up front, then that's how you can be equally gashed by the run in the pass if you are really deficient up front. And uh, if you were curious. I looked it up because I was. The Los Angeles Rams of 2021, en route to the Super Bowl in the playoffs, allowed 282 yards per game mm. on the way to mm-hmm. the uh, Super mm-hmm. Bowl. So they're going to have to maybe uh, get yeah. a little bit better uh, if they're going to turn things around the way that he's right. trying to say. I shouldn't make fun of that. I know what he's he's reaching for something yeah. to say it's not over. I get it. It's just that I, like the worst thing that I feel like I can do content wise conversation wise is be like guys it's over guys it's over go you know go watch Oppenheimer again or whatever (laughs) like no no, I I mean we don't want to do that Uh, but when I look at this I also have to be realistic and just you know it's very hard you play Denver and Chicago back to back and Vegas but at that point I mean, are you just too far gone to even win three games in a row? And then you have Cincinnati, Detroit, Green Bay, Detroit. So even if you tried to get yourself to, I I don't know, what's that, 12 weeks? If you were six and six at that point, Mm -hmm. we might be going or even seven and six. If everything was perfect at that point. Uh, as, as you're going into Cincinnati, you still can't really sell me that you're getting much past eight or nine wins. Yeah. And at that point, wh- why? Like, what would be the purpose? So it's almost like, in a way, losing to Carolina would take care of all of this. Yeah. It would just be like, well, okay, there's there's nothing <laughs> left to worry about yeah. here. Um, but I also think that there is a realistic possibility that that run of Denver, Chicago, Vegas like saves their season for a minute Maybe. and then they just get continually exposed the rest of the way. Yeah. I mean, what basically what you're describing is them needing to win nine of their last 14 games, go nine and five the rest of the way, starting this week in Carolina. It doesn't sound like it's unattainable and completely unreachable and unrealistic, but um, knowing the teams that are involved there, I think that's probably the best case scenario. So if I give them Carolina, Chicago, we're going to have to split Green Bay. Yeah. Uh, let's say they beat Atlanta, Denver, Chicago, Vegas. That gets me to six. And maybe Joe Burrow's done for the year or something. Yeah. Like, I, I don't I know. Think, I think the, the best thing we can say in getting to those wins is that despite giving up that much rushing yards to the Eagles and despite giving up that those many passing yards to the, the, the Chargers, had they not committed the turnovers, they probably win one of those games, if not both, which is wild and crazy and not sustainable. But it speaks to the possibilities that could be in their future. Um, we're not talking about whether that would lead to a single playoff win, but just to get to the playoffs, um, they have 
it's it's a very unevenly built team and a very um, unevenly skilled team. But if they can get the high end players to be as at mistake free high end players, uh, they they that's where the path lies. The problem is what happened to Dallas yesterday. Dallas had a shocking, stunning, yeah. can't believe it loss. Right. Are you telling me the rest of the way they, they will have win? a single one right. of those. They'll yeah. just win. This team, like, oh, they took care of that in week one with Tampa Bay. They're well, they, just going to yeah, win that's, all Yeah, that's the old, you know, they left themselves no margin for error whatsoever. And, um, you know, I, I don't blame them for being optimistic and positive. Like, you can't be anything else at this time of year. But they've set themselves up to be to need to be, um, it, you know, if, if their very best is reaching – 100 they need to be at 99 the rest of the year folks want to remind you to make little caesars the official pizza sponsor of the nfl part of your game day order online during their pizza pizza pregame one hour before nfl games and get ready for some football and fun choose your favorite little caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave either way you win and speaking of winning everyone scores with convenient delivery or their in-store pizza portal pickup so grab some friends and enjoy a few slices during the tastiest hour before kickoff Folks, we are going all in on prize picks this football season. And this week, I figured that Justin Herbert was going to throw for a lot of yards and nailed my pick, but I underestimated Kirk Cousins. Let me explain. If you haven't heard of it, prize picks is the easiest and best way to play daily fantasy instead of battling against thousands of other fantasy geniuses who spend all of their time doing fantasy. You just pick more or less on between two to six players stat projections. And that is it. So if a quarterback's number is 250, you say more or less and bang, you're playing. You can pick from hundreds of players and numbers this football season. I nailed my Justin Herbert pick going over 283.5 by a country mile, but I went less on Kirk Cousins going 297 and uh, yeah, missed that one. He went well over 300 yards, but the cool thing is it was quick, easy, and does not cost an arm and a leg to play. You can turn $10 into 250 with just a few taps. It will fit your wallet and your busy schedule. This is something we're having a lot of fun with all season long on Purple Insider. So go to prizepicks.com slash purple. Use the code purple for a first deposit match up to $100. That is prizepicks.com slash purple. The code word purple. Daily fantasy sports made easy. So we, we, in terms of the big And picture, sometimes 100 won't even be enough to, to win a game. Right, but, because, I mean, what happened to Detroit right, last year? Yeah, they start yeah. one in six, yeah. and then they got hot, but right. it didn't matter yeah, uh, yeah. at the end of the day. Right. The big picture here question that is coming up a lot is about the general manager mm-hmm. and about his decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I think this was the route that they wanted to take from day one, and it is on track for them. That doesn't mean the micro moves have all been right, but right. it's... This is the track that they were taking. And not surprisingly, it's left a lot of holes on the roster because that's what happens when you rebuild. But what is your, I guess, feeling about it when you start 0-3 and then you start looking at oh, that draft class, man? Yeah. If you had you know, a couple more defensive players or uh, Marcus Davenport hasn't played yet and you took kind of a bad risk there in hindsight with his injury history and everything else. At the same time, there's a pretty good argument for... 
if you are mediocre to bad this year, that that was kind of expected Mm -hmm. from at least the front office, obviously not the head coach, but from the front office. And you're kind of on the route that you thought you were going to be on. But I think that's also hard. Like it's a long fall and it's a long winter when you have to deal with this. Right. And I don't think anyone expected them to be this bad through the start and just lack the competitive part of competitive rebuild. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, a couple of things, I think, Almost all of the decisions that he made has made on departures um, have been right, yeah, and not always easy. You know, um, departures or decisions not to extend contracts. I don't think you know. I mean, well, it'll continue to be an evolving um, take on on Cousins, but to have the flexibility at the end of this year to d- decide what's best for the long term uh, of the organization at quarterback is something that hasn't been available for a while. So. Um, you know, ideally they would he would be as at his best for the next few years, and he they'd ride him to a deep playoff run. So, but the backfill of all of those decisions has been probably below average. You know, if you look at at the draft and you look at some of the free agent signings, and you know, if you were just to, I don't know if there's a quantitative way to add up the the talent on a roster, but I wouldn't say they're you know they're probably around average to a little below average. You know, one through fifty three. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the other side. That's the hard, other part. You know, it had to be done at some point, but the decisions in drafts and in some cases in free agency have, have left some, some things wanting. So um, I think that's kind of how I evaluate uh, his performance. But I also think that because that process has taken two years, they and we've probably talked about this before, but they've left themselves in a position where and during the third year, the off season between the second year and the third year is potentially going to be the most uh, riotous, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they did do a lot of things this past off season, but potentially changing quarterbacks, potentially, you know, trying to figure out the Justin Jefferson future, um, seeing if they can do that, um, you know, needing to rebuild at least one line and maybe two. Um, and that's a tough combination of factors to be facing when most reasonable ex owners expectations are that in year three, like you're hitting the, you know, you're, you're hitting the fifth gear, you know, in, in a, in a, in a sports car. Um, you're not, that's not the part where you're like reaching the most, uh, you know, the most violent part of your teardown. And so that's the, you know, really the, the gray area that, that this, you know, approach has, has delivered. And maybe he has more than three years or feels like he has more than three years. He, that hasn't been reflected in what he said publicly. He's talked about a two and three year plan. Um, the coach wants to be competitive every year, obviously. And, but he knows what's up as well. And so I, I think that's, um, where I see like the, uh, the really, um, nuanced and multifaceted analysis of, of Kwesi Adolfo Mensa's, um, performance is that um they're they're heading towards worse before it gets better potentially right which is very unique because normally when a coaching staff gets fired it is the bottom it is rock bottom and then i mean like the new york giants right when they hired dable they are just truly putrid and pathetic so even them winning nine was like oh they turned the organization around yeah Yeah, which you know obviously that didn't hold uh because they paid daniel jones but this situation was a 
they felt that it was a culture problem. And I think the Wilfs were talked into by a lot of the veteran players that we have the talent, we just need a different coach. And they kind of proved it right. Now, however random it might have been, they proved it right. It definitely wasn't a barren situation. Right, right, exactly. So they had all this talent. Now, they could have ripped it apart last year Mm -hmm. and done the same thing they did this year. Uh, but they didn't. So then I feel like you almost have to start the clock with right now or start the clock when you draft a quarterback. And then there's also this weird element of Kirk Cousins is playing really well. And you're like, I, I don't know what to say about this. I mean, yeah, they're, they're cruising, especially on that. Sorry to interrupt you, but they're, they're cruising towards like the hardest possible decision on him. He's he's throwing tons of touchdown passes, leading the league in yards, um, clearly has a connection with Jefferson, at least on the field, um, and no sign of obvious physical decline. I mean, I think it's fair. Like, he's not running, but he didn't ever run. You know, like, there's no, no, you know, the arm is what the arm has always been to me. Um, and so still very serviceable to above, you know, serviceable, but will the franchise be in position – to capitalize on whatever he can offer in the in the future years, if they ha- if they continue on this route and have a losing season, probably not. But then, like, are you going to replace him with somebody better? Probably not. And look, the way he's playing right now, if he looks at Daniel Jones's contract, yeah. he's going to say at least ten more million than that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's playing at a level that would be at this moment worth like forty-five million dollars. Mm-hmm. It's not quite to the burrow but i mean it's it's quite good but how in the world are you going to fix all these other problems and i think it's always been clear that when there are other issues on the roster and weaknesses that there isn't an ability to go to another universe and have the arm talent or have Mm -hmm. the running ability or whatever it is and i don't know how many quarterbacks at this point can overcome this level of defense i mean this is like drew Brees seven and nine territory where I mean, I, I'm not comparing Kirk to Drew Brees' talent level, but this defense is that bad. Yeah. And so it's almost like if you punt three times in a game, you might lose. Just be, If you have one fumble in a game, you might lose because the margin of error is nothing. Yeah. If you have a bad bounce or something, when the defense is this bad. So in a way, what would be the purpose of extending him unless you had an answer there? But they are not one defensive lineman away. Yeah. They're not two. They're not three. I mean, this is like the LeBron speech only for lacking defensive linemen. Right. Like you are just, you got nothing. And and so you need high draft picks. You need huge dollars spent. You need everything. I think with a secondary, you can patchwork it sometimes. You can't patchwork finding Pass rush. Nick Bosa. Like mm-hmm. you just have to either spend massive dollars or, or high draft picks. And I feel like they're years away from being able to figure that out. So why would you want Kirk Cousins at age 36, 37, 38 going through this for three more years as they rebuild that for maybe one shot in there? But if he regresses with his health or with his just being old and doesn't play as well as he is right now, you're going to lose anyway. So I feel like the best option is to create that cap space for yourself, to draft the quarterback, and then these guys are going to live and die on that decision. But like just thinking through that, that's year three. Like, do they, are they like, I mean, how much, these are not 10 year contracts these guys get. You know, if you talk to people around the NFL, they're already wondering, like, how quickly are they going to get this turned around? Like, do you have, and like, that is probably like the best or most organic way of getting to where you want to be. 
is, you know, blowing it up, get, you know, get the high, get the high draft pick, uh, get the quarterback, start building around him. You, you know, capitalize on the fact that he doesn't have a high cap number and, and start using that cap dollars elsewhere. But like, then you're talking about and like these first two years having in for that been for not basically, because there's not many people they've at, you could count on one hand, probably people that they've added in the past two years that would figure into an, the next three year cycle of rebuilding, if that's what it comes to. So do they, you know, do they get this Kwesi get the, the runway and his staff and even O'Connell get the runway to then go through another a three-year process starting next year and make it, you know, year five before anyone would have a realistic expectation of them winning the Super Bowl. That's, to me, the argument that would lead at least some people, maybe in ownership, to say, like, you know, we keep the quarterback, you know, like, and find and do better at drafting, you know, find the cheap people at other positions, you know, we'll pay the quarterback. And so, that, and I don't know that as a fact, I'm just saying like that, you know, could I mean you like? It's very rare in the NFL that that a GM would be given five years before there's any expect. You know, there's a high expectation that his rebuild would be kicking in. No, that's right. And not being able to draft a quarterback and not having an answer on the roster. I mean, Jaron Hall was fine in the preseason, but that's not an answer. Nobody thinks that he is. No. Yeah. Uh, nor should they. And, and if he becomes a good backup, then that's a fine draft pick, I guess. But they weren't finding their Brock Purdy no. or Tom Brady, I don't think, uh, in the fifth round. So then what you have to deal with is what you're saying is rookie quarterbacks almost never win. So you're talking about drafting a quarterback, putting him in right away, and then winning six or seven games and saying to ownership, give us another year, yeah. give us another year. But the the sunny side up of that is there are examples of quarterbacks who have come in and with the right circumstance right away had success. I mean, Dak Prescott not too mm -hmm, long ago. Mm -hmm. Of course, they built up the offensive line, which yes. this still needs to improve. But you have two good tackles to work with. You get some cap space and so forth. I could see of all the situations in the NFL, a rookie going to Minnesota being the best possible one because you almost never get to join a team with Justin Jefferson. Right. Right. And so I, I think that there is like this world where, OK, the draft pick's not that ready and then you struggle and win four games and then everyone goes, wow, you just wasted Christian Derrissaw and Justin mm -hmm. Jefferson mm -hmm. and, and so forth. But there's also a universe where. Kirk Cousins might, by the way, also be like, you know, I'm good. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. Hey, Kirk, you won the last seven games in a row and got mm -hmm. us to the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Come back. And uh, nah, I'm good. I, you know, yeah. I've always wanted to play in another city yeah. because, hey, you guys never believed in me. Right. So and we're already seeing a little Kirk tension in these post games. Uh, I think he's irritated that he's playing well and not getting W's next to his name. But I think that there is a also a distinct possibility if you draft a Quinn Ewers or a Drake May or a Shadur Sanders or whoever, and they come into this situation that you can be very competitive right away. And if you are, then ownership is like quasi genius. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's uh, banking on the le less likely outcome just based on history. Like that, you know, there have, you're right. There have been quarterbacks who've come in right away and like you knew, you know, they were plug and play quarterbacks basically like drafted them or signed them or whatever. And, you know, Purdy's another example where they were at least, you know, keeping you at the level you would otherwise be at. Um, this team might need somebody who can do more than that. And, but just like, if you just, like you just think, I'm just thinking of Zach, the Zach Wilson's of the worlds and, you know, 
and the, there's so many of those too, where everybody in the world was convinced that this guy was going to, you know, was worthy of the number two pick or a top five pick, you know, Josh, the Josh Rosens, all of, you know, there's always players like that for when they finally get here, it just don't cut it. And so, and the, and if not more often turns out that way, or at least they turn out to be pedestrian than they do people who can win right away. So if the, if the path to Quasi and, and, and O'Connell, um, being successful by going to a rookie quarterback next year is um, the Dak Prescott one. Then they're there. I don't like the odds. Folks, you might feel like it's getting a little chilly outside, but this is one of my favorite times of the year to get out on the grill. What's better than cooking up something great in front of a hot flame with the cool fall football air around you? I love it. You know who can help you get the most out of this experience? Grill Masters Club. I am still working my way through my last box, and it's funny, I enjoyed the heck out of the Kunami seasoning and was totally surprised at how good the peach barbecue rub was. And even better, they added a little spray bottle that helped me up my game quite a bit and instructions to show me how to do it all right. Go to grillmastersclub.com and check out all of your options. With each box, you get five barbecue products just like the ones I got, marinades, spices, rubs, tools, and more, and you can do it all on your schedule, monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly, stop and start whenever you like. The team of certified pitmasters at Grill Masters Club has cracked the code on delivering award-winning small batch barbecue products on whatever schedule works for you. You guys know that I'm busy, but I get out there and use Grill Masters Club products all the time. Join the club. Go to grillmastersclub.com and get 50% off your first box with the code PURPLE. And while you're there, check out the member reviews to find out what others are saying about the month-to-month Grill Masters Club plan. Again, grillmastersclub.com, 50% off your first box with the code PURPLE. Fall is here, gentlemen, and it's about to get busy during the holidays. Do not let that stop you from sticking to your habits and being the best version of yourself. That's where our friends at Caldera Lab come in. These guys are the best in the skincare game, and with an easy routine, keep your face looking pretty no matter your schedule. Plus, what's a better gift than clear skin? Join the 100,000 men who trust Caldera Lab to show your best self and first impressions this fall. Plus, it makes for a great gift. And look, you guys know I'm live streaming all the time. I really want to make sure that I have clear skin for everybody to look at when they're watching on YouTube. And hey, Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. It includes three products, the Clean Slate, the Base Layer, and the Good The Clean Slate is a face wash that leaves your skin refreshed. The base layer is a daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin. And the good is a go-to multifunctional serum at night that helps your skin look tighter and smoother. Don't pretend like you don't want this stuff for your face, fellas. And just for our audience, we have an exclusive deal, and you are not beating this offer. Use Insider at CalderaLab.com, and you get 20% off with the code Insider at calderalab.com to make unforgettable first impressions with the best gift this holidays. Again, 20% off at calderalab.com with the code insider. Okay. I think what they would have to do to keep their jobs at that point 
would be show enough promise. So if, just for example, and there was uh, rumors out there that the ownership drafted C.J. Stroud. But I've watched a little bit of C.J. Stroud so far. I'm very impressed. Yeah. But they're not going to win a ton of games. And I know they went to the bottom and everything else. Yeah. But just, just to hang with me here, if C.J. Stroud wins six or seven games but looks really good and the whole world and you know these owners watch your mm -hmm, network mm -hmm. and nfl network and they're all going on there and kyle brant's talking about how yeah. man this cj stroud yeah. he's the yeah. next best guy yeah. and damian woody is yeah. cj stroud you know if the vikings have that situation and they only win eight games or seven games with a rookie I don't think they're going to say, all right, you're all fired. They no. would say we'd need next year and we can you know, sign all the people because Kirk is off the books and everything. Like you could see that path. And the other thing is that rookie quarterbacks, when they have the roster around them, have succeeded sometimes even when they're not that good. So like Baker Mayfield had a yeah. really good year mm -hmm. and was a couple of plays away from what the AFC championship. Yeah. And you have, uh, you know, Carson Wentz and Jared Goff and like Brock Purdy. I I'm still not convinced he's more than Case Keenum, but like mm -hmm. it works mm -hmm. because of the team. So I think that if you're making that argument, you're saying this year you win seven games as the Vikings with Kirk, assuming they don't lose this week and trade him to the Jets. <laughs> and then and then you draft Quinn Ewers or whoever you give him Justin Jefferson, you show promise, and then you hope. And then you hope that you can build a good enough roster through spending all that money. I can see it. The The question is, around the margins with Quasey, that's where I have some questions. There's some common sense stuff with Quasey. Like, you, okay. you know, drafting a guard in the second round and asking him to start, and then never seemingly choosing to evaluate him until two weeks into the season mm -hmm. when you when you get uh, Dalton Reisner, when everybody knew that was a massive problem. The, the Davenport, there's some common sense issues with his health and things like that. Uh, you think you're getting some steals, but you're not. Um, the Justin Jefferson contract not happening, which to me, I just write him a blank check and slide it across the yeah. table. You know, things like that where I'm like, even though the quarterback seems the solution for everything, Around the margins is where a lot of wins happen in the Absolutely. NFL as well, and I'm not convinced on all that. No, and and there's you know, the we're only now I think getting a better idea of the team building, the impact of his sort of team building, whether it was all intentional or whether it was just him making the best decision that he thought out of not a lot of great options. But the lack of investment in both lines, really, um, you know, the one draft pick for Ed Ingram, like you know, uh, suffice it to say they haven't hit on that one, you know, and it may, you know, he may be nearing the end of his time, uh, frankly, as a starter, uh, if, if Reisner gets into the lineup, uh, this week or at some point soon. And so, and the defensive line is so under emphasized that Brian Flores is basically not playing anybody except for Harrison Phillips. Um, I mean, they're like, I, I don't really have a way of tracking what their most, um, common grouping is but it feels like it's the one with one defensive lineman on the field and that's ins that i don't want to say insane because it's not insane but it's really unusual um and i don't and i don't think it's reflective of what brian flores has necessarily done in the past and he's probably doing what he thinks is getting the best 11 people on there and if only one defensive lineman is somebody that um is amongst your top 11 then that's you know maybe we they took the uh uh, you know, the value of defensive linemen and making decisions there a little too far because there's nobody winning up front except occasionally Daniil Hunter. And so that you look at it and say, like, 
not only have they not really addressed defensive line, but they've got a an accomplished defensive coordinator who's had success everywhere he's been um, defensively and doesn't seem to want to play any any of them, at least not yet. And I do think that, as O'Connell said, that Flores will be a week-to-week uh, game planner. And But there's really been no games yet this year where they've seemed to, to feel like their defensive linemen uh, are the are – the, among the most important people to have on the field. Yeah, there's two quarters where they've played good defense. Yeah, and first half of the Bucks game. Yeah, and yeah. and they were really trying to sell. Like, we were playing pretty good in the start of the Eagles game. Mm-hmm. They were booing. I'm like, what? They will boo anything yeah. in, in <laughs> Philly. Come on. I mean, that's yeah. a pretty tough sell. So yeah. maybe a couple possessions yeah. against Philly. Yeah. And aside from that, you're just getting smoked. And the reason I'm a very hesitant to criticize Brian Flores is because even though I thought it was – strange that there wasn't an adjustment or a change or whatever as they were just smoking the blitzes over and over but i don't know any other way to create pressure and so i understand why he keeps pushing that button and i also think that the roster up front is just so incredibly poor it might be the worst defensive line in the league i mean it's the it's the extremes that should catch your eye like he didn't just blitz a lot against the chargers he blitzed 83 percent of the times like 40 basically 40 of 50 41 of 50, 41 of 49 dropbacks. Uh, that like that's the most that ESPN has ever recorded since they started tracking blitzes uh, 17 years ago. When you know, I mean, so you, maybe you go back to Buddy Ryan. Like the fact that he felt compelled. Uh, I mean, the average is like 26 percent for an NFL team. The fact that he felt compelled to go in that extreme um, is notable. Uh, the fact that he feels compelled to to use groupings uh, against a power run team of one um, with one defensive lineman or sometimes no defensive lineman um, is also very telling. And I don't think it's him being a mad scientist and like being so committed to the bit that he nobody can talk him out of it. I think that that's what a really good and respected defensive coordinator has decided is is the best situation. And that in itself is is extremely telling. From a from a, a roster building standpoint, um, getting back to to Quasi being in charge of that. Yeah, I think what Brian Flores was trying to do is run the Wildcat. Like yeah. that was <laughs> the version, right? the like defensive just, version yeah. of the Wildcat. Yeah. Right. We're just gonna try something kind of crazy and out there. Yeah. And see if it works. And uh, the answer is no, it didn't work. Yeah. But if he played regular, whatever, it didn't work. By the way, Byron Murphy. I, I think our first impression of him was that he's pretty good. Had about the worst day you can have yesterday. I mean, yeah. just got I mean, thrown it, at it, all it the was time. Was put in a position where he's guarding one of the NFL's best receivers, um, with with the assumption that that you know the other eight eight of the other ten players are going to be uh, pass rushing and and like that and and they didn't when they didn't get home like that's tough for a lot of cornerbacks. You know they paid him a fair bit, but they didn't pay him like J.C. Jackson money you know, of all people um, to be like a shutdown cornerback. I don't know if anyone expected him to be a shutdown, but like uh, I think that was an extremely difficult assignment that he got yesterday. I think so too. Uh, PFF has it as ten for fourteen with 185 yards against. I mean that's pretty that tough. Just any receiver or Keenan Allen? Uh, any receiver, but it was yeah. probably mostly Allen. Yeah. Uh, also, Josh Metellus was targeted ten times for ten completions. Ouch. Only 62 yards on that one, yeah. though. And of course, a Caleb Evans had the ball bounce off him. That's pretty yeah. tough. Uh, but I guess you know, just in tracking how everyone's doing that they signed like mm-hmm. that one has not been a game changer for them either. No, no. And so we're talking so much about the D line 
that the secondary is getting kind of a free pass for yeah. a day like yesterday. Yeah. I mean, but I I went in the season like I, I feel like everybody was talking about secondary. And if you you looked at all these various lists of what's the area that of most concern for the Vikings, people were saying secondary. My response, and I think we I did this as part of our season preview that we ran, like what's your biggest worry? To me, it was pass rush. It's, mm-hmm. You know, there's really – they went into the season with one or maybe two, if you counted Davenport uh, with Daniil Hunter – people who can win one-on-one um, and with Davenport out, they now have one player who can win on one and no one else has showed us that they can even, you know, Ivan Pace has gotten a lot of um, publicity uh, for the work he's done and he's been great for a rookie, but, and, I, and he does blitz a lot, but, and he, and he makes good contact and he pushes people back, but I haven't seen him uh, do anything that's di- disrupted a lot of, of plays. Right. I mean, Pace yesterday had 17 pass rushes and two pressures. So it's, it's not yeah, like that's about right. Yeah. yeah. It's not like he's just making a huge impact. And when you look at, you know, without Davenport and boy, Kevin O'Connell has let us know that Davenport's not in there. Uh, Patrick Jones graded a 50 and uh, DJ Wanham a 49, yeah. which again, sounds about right. And there's not a whole lot you can do. So I guess my question just to not just continue to belabor the point okay. about the D line is just, do you think that they turn it around? Like, like how do you see this playing out? Um, I mean, they, they seem to think that if once Davenport gets back um, from the ankle injury, that uh, everyone, everything else will kind of the domino will event, you know, all, everything else will go back to the way it was originally intended um, there. I think they've been careful and rightfully so to not paint Davenport as, you know, we'll have Reggie white, you know, in here and that'll, you know, he's going to disrupt everything. But that instead of asking DJ Wanham to to rush 50 times or whatever it was um, or play 50 snaps, you know, they're asking him to do 10 or 15 or, you know, and Davenport's doing that. And he's got a better chance of being disruptive and a better chance of holding up against the run if they want to do an Eagles type of approach. But um, I don't have any easy answers in terms of how the defense, um, you know, but one of them will be not all offenses will be quite as – I mean, you're not – facing Justin Herbert every week. You're not facing the Eagles running game every week, including this coming up week. But if you're if you're pinning your hopes on defensive improvement on context, which is the quality of the opponent, then that's not a uh, encouraging sign. Well, I think that the uh, Panthers have about the worst group of wide receivers in the NFL, oh. but also Andy Dalton gives them a way better chance than yeah. Bryce Young. Against uh, you know all the blitzes and stuff. Right. They were beaten by getting the ball out, and that's what Andy Dalton does. He beat this team, what, two years ago? No, 2020 with Dallas, and then came this close to beating them with uh, the New Orleans Saints. So I I think that it's a maybe more respectable opponent. And here's what I'm waiting for as well. We're just assuming the offense is going to do this every week. There have been times throughout Kirk Cousins' career where it's just not his day, as it goes for anyone, just like Dak Prescott yesterday. If he goes to Carolina with those good pass rushers, Dalton Reisner trying to play for the first time, maybe mm-hmm. Garrett Bradbury's back facing Derek Brown, like yeah. one of the best players in the yeah. league. Like there's a world where this just goes sideways and it's over. I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not going into this game completely confident that it just like steamrolls no. over and they're fine. No, and if they go into it or anyone goes into that game thinking, oh, this is our get well game, then they're going to get killed, you know. Like this has to be, this is not like you, the preparation for this game can't be based on context at all. You know what makes me, um, uh, sad's the wrong word. I'm very <laughs> happy covering football. Uh, maybe disappointed in this season is I thought it would be interesting 
Uh, I thought it would be really like a roller coaster of evaluating so many players on a week-to-week basis and where it's all going and yeah. so forth. And already before October, it's just what's the front office going to do? What's yeah. the you know like I I really enjoy breaking down the matchups yeah. and like oh this could be interesting between well, this coach and that coach. And I feel like it, especially if they lose against Carolina, that fun is over with and lasted four weeks. Yeah, and I've been in situations where a season is over before it started. I guess is the best way to put it. Um, but it does. There are some interesting things, not just for media but for fans too, to watch when younger players start to get opportunities, assuming they do. Um, that teams aren't hard-headed and keep playing the guys that aren't going to be around in future years anyway. Um, and you see how they fit in. Sometimes you find out right away, like, this is not a guy to keep following. And then you find, hey, this, he actually did some really fun stuff. And so I don't know how the Vikings would react in that situation. You know, forget the Cousins trade part. Um, you know, just in terms of there's some veterans on this team that were brought in for very or here for very short-term assignments and whether it would make sense to continue to see them on the field or you know people that were more recently drafted or on the practice squad and you don't want to turn it into a preseason game but from a from a I guess I'm just trying to optimistically point out something that has been genuinely interesting to me over the years to see how they handle that to see who they put out there and who they don't and um, and whether they have sort of the competitive courage to to do something that's different than what might be best to win that particular week yeah i guess uh this week could i guess i kind of just explained tanking yeah i was gonna say uh, you you absolutely did you said uh, tanks can be fun to watch (laughs) Uh, um well uh, they didn't suck quite enough for luck and uh, who knows what happens at that point right but yeah for me uh, I, I, I'm sort of wondering here, like, are we going to get to week 11 and be like, oh, well, this is a huge one for them. Or are we going to be talking about Jaqueline Roy getting 40 snaps and yeah. how uh, interesting that is. And then looking at tankathon.com to see <laughs> where their draft yeah. status is. And yeah. that's, uh, and, uh, so the, there's one part of me that enjoys you know, previewing a game that really wants some relevance. Yeah. But then also I've been talking about tearing it all down and drafting high for a long time. So I don't know. It's, uh, uh, there'll be interesting things along the way, but we'll see what those things are. I think after this week, we'll really know. Yes. It's all coming down to their week four game in Carolina. Who would have thought just as we expected, uh, Kevin Seifer, you're the best man. Thanks for Uh, having me. Thanks for all the time here. And uh, I mean, I know you got to write up all those interviews from the locker room. We have today and absolutely a lot of transcription, a lot of transcribing. All right. Well, uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for all the time. This was fun. No problem. Thanks for having me.